Ian, you're going to have to explain what just happened. What that was, that was the uh, Turkmenistan anthem for sport. (laughs) It's a banger. Pushing a joke to its absolute limit. Oh, I think we're past that. (laughs) Everyone close your eyes and then guess whether this is Kaylee (laughs) or me. Hello and welcome to the Cycling Tips Podcast. This is me, Kaylee Fretz. And we are here in Wollongong for a live podcast at <laughs> Camp Quarry. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> is it getting better or worse? It's getting worse. Uh, well, <laughs> welcome back, everybody. Uh, for those of you who are not sitting right in front of us, you can probably tell that we are having another live show tonight. We're going to talk through all the racing that happened today, which is Saturday, right? Today's Saturday. Uh, and then also talk a little bit about what's going to go down tomorrow in the elite men's race. So, joining me tonight, we've got Ian Treller, the most famous man of the weekend. Hello, Ian. Hello. Good to be here. Good to and, be somewhere. Good to be anywhere. <laughs> and Rupert Guinness, longtime friend of the pod, 31-time Tour de France journalist. Welcome, Rup. Thanks, Kylie. Uh, got a beer in my hand instead of rosé for a change, but uh, always good to be here with something in my hand. Did anyone bring rosé? There was some. We'll build we'll to that. That, that was an obvious plea yeah. for help, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the run sheet is beer first, then rosé. We, we know this. <laughs> We've dialed this. And Dave Rome joining us on the podcast, one of our tech editors. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. And we're going to talk through some sock uh, controversy. I feel I like mean. you've just used the whole nerd nugget already. I apologize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's kick things off with what wrapped up not too long ago, about an hour and a half ago. Uh, a late charge and surprising victory. Surprising and not surprising victory for Enemy Finn We don't have a mat here. I was going to ask somebody to tell me what happened. So I'm going to turn to you instead, Ian. I know you watched. Tell me how how the finale went down. Okay, so there there was a group of five off the front. You had Utrecht Ludwig, Nivea Doma, Moment Passio, and the fifth one. Longo Borghini, of course. Thank you. Uh, Everyone here is better at at, at my job than I am. So... (laughs) This is humbling. Um, so they, they got away. They got dragged back uh, after dithering a little bit. So with one lap to go, it was uh, a bigger group with some Dutch, some Australians. Uh, from that group, uh, Marlon Rusa attacked and got quite a good lead. She got dragged back just before the, the steep climb up Rama Avenue, uh, at which point the five riders from before formed again and looked like they were getting away with it. Again, they got dragged back leading to a big bunch of about 20 riders coming into the, the finish. And then uh, Annemiek van Vluten took a flyer. Nobody chased her, and she soloed to the finish. Let's talk about this. I, I mean, we were, we, were, we were watching on television sort of on the finish stretch, sort of just, uh, I guess, ahead of where she would have caught and passed the entire group in front of her. Roop, this is a, it was a kind of a strange finale. I mean, we had 20 riders essentially just watch the freight train go by and not get on. I know, it was, uh, besides being so impressed with uh, Annemiek van Vluten's uh, uh, move there and the fact that she was still there, which is another point we'll come back to, but uh, how she gapped them so quickly and there was so little reaction at that time, um, 
you know, it'd be interesting to see what the uh, fallout is from comments from other riders. Did they, did they write her off and just think she's not going to be able to perform like that? Uh, but it was an incredible uh, finale there. Uh, just going back to the point that the fact that she was still there, I think, well, I know I said it last night, talking about how hard that would be with her uh, elbow injury from a crash in the mixed team time trial relay to to uh, be able to get out of the saddle and climb those hills and even get through the race well she did and the other point of conjecture which I guess I've fallen on my sword for was which, which other people were discussing and it was a valid point was the potential weakness of the Dutch team that's uh, that's uh, failed in their last two major campaigns last year's Olympics and the world's tactically because of uh, their inability to be uh, a team that wins with all, with uh, so many champions well they answered that today, and um, finally, I just think, uh, as a performance alone, uh, take away the who's and everything, but the fact of someone having an injury like that, uh, physically but also emotionally, in a campaign that had been troubled with it, you know, with the uh, time trial as well, the individual time trial, it was a phenomenal response to a week of setbacks, double setbacks. So I was talking to Phil Anderson, who's here tonight. When we were talking about his, the injury, when you have an injury in the elbow like that, the pain that's in the elbow, uh, he was talking about his 94 Commonwealth Games, uh, which was his last race uh, before he retired. But he had, you know, obviously different, you're in the aero bars, but just when you have the pain and like that, whatever injury it is in the, in the elbow, it's excruciating. So uh, I just think it was one of the most remarkable performances of, of a cyclist I've seen for a long, long time, and uh, chapeau. Yeah. And, and almost doubly impressive because it looked like she was fully in domestique mode in the final climb. I mean, she was looking back, waiting mm. for Mariana Voss, trying to, trying to pull her back up, mm. had essentially let the front group go and then realized that Voss didn't have the legs and pulled herself back up anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's a very good you know, the time there where she may not have even been in contention for, for the finale there. So, uh, yeah, again, uh, you know, as a, as a rider and a performance of an athlete in any sport, that's got to be right up there. Is one of the uh, great performances, I think. And a pretty incredible year. Ian, we were talking about this on the walk back. Uh, a year unrivaled that we can think of at the top of the sport. Yeah, in, in the history of the sport, nobody has won a World Championships, uh, Giro, a Tour, and a World Cup. And she's got them all. Amazing. I kind of loved as well how I, I don't think she was entirely sure she won that bike race when she came across the finish line. The, it, the first thing she did was just turn her computer off, which we've complained about previously anyway. Uh, I think there are other things riders should be doing in the split second after they cross the finish line. How does that happen? Well, I mean, we, just, we were talking about it earlier that so many cyclists, I mean, no, we do it because I just don't want to lose the data. You know, like, in fact, I rode 100 kilometers. I think it's the same for them. But, but so they just go, that's their first reaction. Yeah, Bing. sometimes Strava's more important than the result, right? <laughs> oh, yes, if it's not on Strava, it doesn't count. Even you've got a gold medal around your neck and a rainbow jersey. It doesn't. Well, apparently it wasn't uh, televised or wasn't easily televised, so it was good that she recorded it for Strava because I don't think you could actually watch it on Channel 9. They, <laughs> they cut away to the news uh, with two kilometers to go. You're kidding. I am not. I did enjoy, there was, like, there was like five seconds of rainbow shot at about 800 meters to go as well. Yeah, I love a good rainbow shot. Rainbow. What? You gotta see the rainbow. What? You gotta see the rainbow. It's iconic. Iconic indeed. Uh, I would agree with you, Roop. One of, the, one of the most impressive rides I've seen in quite some time, not just for the, the physical aspect, 
taking everybody by surprise, going back by that entire group, what, what, 10, 15K an hour faster mm -hmm. than everybody, which is really why they didn't hop on. I think mm -hmm. they couldn't at that point. But like you said, coming back from a week that has been pretty darn rough, mm -hmm. and we don't often see Enemique play domestique, like I said, about mm -hmm. on, that, on that final climb to, to Mariana. To do that, she had to be in the back of her head thinking, I probably can't win this. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of the reason why she looks so yeah. surprised at the finish line. And, and, and maybe also uh, the fact that you know, she'd thrown all her efforts into working as a domestic. She'd had a crap week up till then individually. Uh, there was nothing to be lost in just throwing everything she had out there, just a crap shoot into the, not the dark. Well, it was actually the relative dark of, of a gloomy afternoon, except aside from the rainbows. <laughs> but maybe she was riding to the rainbow, which she was... She, uh, <laughs> She's got the rainbow jersey, but you know, it's kind of an interesting sidebar point of when you've had you know a bunch of setbacks, uh, you've you've worked your butt off to to help others, and you're in a group of suddenly what was it ten or whatever it was at the end. What else are you going to lose? The worst that happens, she has a crack at it, and she gets caught. You know what? She'll say she still had a solid race where she did the best for her national team. And not forgetting, not riding for trade teams, they're riding for national teams. The Dutch team would have been fully aware of all the, the critique and criticisms that's been said about them not riding cohesively. Team of champions, not a champion team. So those emotions can sometimes uh, push you further than what you actually think you can do. And you can say there's no pressure, but I think there was a lot of pride put in that performance, not just for herself, but also for, for the Dutch team and Dutch cycling, notwithstanding Bulk and Mollimer's, you know, the Birdgate and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> They've had a pretty rough week, and it's ended very well. Shout out to Ellen Van Dyke as well, who basically single-handedly pulled that group back uh, with one lap to go. Yeah. And, and also won the time trial. And also won the time trial. Yeah, yeah just a, a pretty incredible ride mm. from that whole team. And, and frankly, to be honest, something that we haven't seen from them. I mean, they have that reputation for a reason, right? We mm. didn't pull it out of nowhere. Mm. They have struggled to execute in the big moments. Uh, I think Tokyo Olympics is probably a perfect example. <laughs> and yet they, they figured it out today. Mm. So super impressive. Yes. Mm. And Demi Volring didn't even start. That is an excellent point. Uh, mm. We found that out literally on the start line. It didn't start with COVID. So that's a huge loss for that team. I want to move on to just a, a sort of slightly broader topic. As I wandered around today, yesterday, one of the topics of conversation, and in particular, I think because I have a different accent than everybody else, everyone's asking what I think of this particular world. And my immediate response every single time is that I think this is one of the best world's courses I have seen in quite some time. And I'm not sure that we were fully expecting that coming into this weekend. I think most people, when you look at it on paper, the, the city circuits, they don't look like much, right? They look like, like sort of a big kermesse, but turns out a big kermesse is actually very, very interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the way that the races thus far have played out and then, you know, I think what that means for per perhaps tomorrow. I'd like more big climbs. I think that that could probably make it a little bit more attritional. It's pretty far out. Um, so you have a pretty big group coming into the finishing circuits. And I, I like... Uh, a little bit more variety in the in the landscape than six laps or twelve laps around a, a sort of city circuit, but I, I understand why they they would like that because it keeps things central and it keeps everybody around and occupied and spending money. 
Well, the UCI specifically requests that. Like, to be very clear, the, the, I'm sure that the local organizing committee would have loved to throw more climbs in, right? More, more time spent out in the mountains, but in recent years, they have requested that there are as many city circuits as possible, which can be difficult and can make for boring racing sometimes. But we haven't had a single boring race yet this week, I don't think. And so I think that they, I, I guess there's just some kudos due for, I don't know who put that course together, but it is, it's, what's that? Scott Sunderland, so that, there you go. So kudos to Scott. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of a more interesting uh, series of finales than we've seen in the last mm. couple of days. Oh, I agree with you, Kaylee. I, I also, uh, like even when we saw yesterday, uh, a couple of two-up sprints uh, for the win, but even though one of them, there was a you know, group coming close behind, but what we saw today was, was different, different conditions. But... Uh, and then we saw the emerging dynamic, as we spoke of last night, about not just the hills, but the technicality of the course, the cornering, the energy that can be wasted if you're in the wrong position or if you get caught out wide on a corner with the wind and all that. But I think another thing that emerged um, today, and it was uh, thanks to my East Cycling Clubmate, uh, Stuart McDougall, who's sitting here, uh, he was there, him, him and his partner, Jen, were up on Raymar Avenue, and they were astonished by... The, uh, the gearing of some of the uh, elite women today. You know, there was a lot who were going up in the 28, but the ones in the 32 at the back were, were making inroads much more comfortably. And the surprise was how many of them were perhaps wrongly geared for that climb, even though you know uh, what the, technically what the course is going to be, be like. I know, Dave, you're about to chip in there. And yeah. then before I finish off, is, is uh, even though they may have, you know, they've been here all week, so how come... Uh, they haven't been able to find out what gear is going to be right in a race situation, but I guess a race situation is different than training. Over to you, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say that's yeah. very interesting because Kaylee and I have been going back and forth all, uh, most of the week. Uh, we're kind of small we, debate. We haven't put money on it, but maybe we should. Uh, Kaylee thinks the right winner, now. the winner of the men's race, will do their final lap in the big ring up there, and I think he's wrong. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> We're going to find it. You're literally going to go park yourself on the climb tomorrow so you can prove me wrong and take a picture of them going by. Just do. And my, my camera card might just corrupt if you... Yeah, if I... Well, I, I reckon Stu McDougall will be up there because he knows he's onto something now. Now we put pressure on him. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Oh, I think no, they're going to hit that last that I'm sure last it's possible, fast. but whether, it's, whether that's the fastest way up, I think, is a different yeah. question. Yeah. We shall see. We're going to find out tomorrow. Before what, what, we move on... What about what gearing, if, you, if there is a group for a sprint? You know, you could have the wrong gearing for that too. So yeah. that's happened before in 89 in uh, Chambry, where Greg LeMond won. And uh, uh, Konyshev, Russian, was second, and uh, Kelly was third. And Kelly swears he was just totally wrongly geared for the... It was a hilly course. Mm. Um, slightly more, not so as technical as this one, but it was, it was hilly. But he said he was totally undergeared for, for a sprint finish. Mm. even though there was a lot of the hills that he had well, to get they, up. Back then, they had uh, even worse supply issues for 12-speed mm. Shimano and 12-speed <laughs> SRAM, so that is why that happened. But the riders here have I'm, managed to get their hands on, on, on those products. I'm, I'm, so. I'm, I'm not getting into the critique of yeah. brands <laughs> right now. Before we move on from the elite women's race, uh, there was a bit of, uh, well, we're going to manufacture some controversy, is actually what we're going to do right now. We did, we, we did notice, Dave... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with the fact that in no way are we suggesting that the result of this bike race should ever, no. ever, ever be changed by this very silly fact. 
But Annemiek van Vluten's socks were illegal. Yeah. Yeah, she looked like she was participating in a triathlon. Uh, yeah, they were, they were above words. the halfway mark, uh, which is a UCI rule. Yeah, so, uh, so the rule is that they, they cannot... <laughs> they cannot be higher than I think it's what the halfway mark between the sort of the ankle, ankle bone and the, and the yeah. bone on the side of your. Yeah. I've got this, here. which which is Half where which is where your pants come to, yes. Kelly. Your trendy <laughs> pants. <laughs> which it's a fascinating fashion trend you have after after it's, all these years. I'm still fascinated by it. It's a tribute to Animique. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the, is it the Animique look? Is it yes. upside down though? You know. Yes. All this, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, carry on. Sorry, Ian, you're... <laughs> well, well, I, I have the regulation here, which yes, is please. not uh, please the height do. of Kaylee's pants, oddly enough. I'm surprised it's called, it's called it's called the UCI technical documents. It's called the Kaylee Clause, isn't it? <laughs> point one. Article 1.3.033. One of my favourites. Dot frets states... <laughs> Socks and overshoes used in competition may not rise above the height defined by half the distance between the middle of the lateral malleolus and the middle of the fibular head. That's pretty clear. Which is pretty clear, yeah. mm. I would have thought. <laughs> so this, this nerd nugget gets a little juicier, though, because it turns out that she was actually using a new sock from a Dutch company called Soccer Leon, uh, mm. which has the acronym of SS, sorry, F-S-O-T-P. Does anyone want to guess what that is? Outside the protocol. Close. Really? No. <laughs> Anyone? It's F S T P. Fast socks. Uh, over the top. Over the top. Yeah. Close. Fastest <laughs> sock on the planet. So, <laughs> it's thousand euro for a pair. It's a. It's a fully custom sock. So they custom make it to your foot length, your calf size, and the length that you need. Uh, and they're designed to be highly aerodynamic. They make them, they speed optimize them based on your expected winning speed. So there's three different final speed versions you can do, and the materials change based on that. And the best part of all of that is uh, speaking with Ronan McLaughlin, our aero expert. He says Anamique was uh, wearing them pulled up too high, which would negate most of the... <laughs> <laughs> which not only made them then illegal, made them slower. <sighs> yeah. I both love and hate this topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because like I said, we, you know, what is the penalty for breaking this rule? Do we know, do we know what the penalty is? We tried to find out, but we, we had no luck. Incredibly the UCI is vague. not currently responding to our messages. I think... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> But regardless of that, they, they seem to um, check it, like enforce it by telling people to make their socks lower. Yep. And then don't do anything further than that. Yeah. Just roll them down. So at uh, a Worlds a couple of years ago, Remco Evenepoel was told that his socks were too high, pulled them down, and then pulled them up again <laughs> <laughs> during the race. And that was that. Just like his mother always told him, just pull your socks, pull up, your socks up, pull, up, pull your socks down. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's very vague. It does. There is something in the rule books that an, a clothing infringement can lead to disqualification at an elite level, world. Well, in an elite world championship, uh, I don't believe that has ever been done. Hmm. So yes, and I don't believe today is the day that they'll enforce that. No, and that would no. be just a 
enormous shame for all the reasons we talked <laughs> yes. about earlier, uh, and the fact that apparently she was making herself slower anyway. But still, a thousand dollar pair of socks. No, a thousand is, euro. Sorry, thousand euro pair yeah. of socks. Yeah, it's worse than you think it is. Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. Oh no. <laughs> she has not been disqualified. Oh jeez. Wow. What a way to drop that. No. <laughs> Uh, she has been fined 200 Swiss francs. Oh, that's probably the maximum. Oh! It's, it's always 200 Swiss francs, isn't it? That's, that's a single standard it's, unit it's of measurement. It's always 200 Swiss francs. <laughs> One unit of fine. <laughs> well, I imagine, I, I hope that it was applied equally, and Voss also got fined for her overlong socks. I hope everyone has been fined for their socks. <laughs> it's, a, it's publicity for those socks, though, because everyone's talking about the socks now, and the financial return for the talk about the socks will have overcome the fines. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I guess the sponsor will pay for the fine, wouldn't they? I mean, 200 francs is less than the socks cost to begin with. So Much <laughs> less. Yeah. Worth it, I guess. Let's move on. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let's move on from socks. There was another race today. Uh, there's a little bit less to talk about with this one because, frankly, it was decided about 10K from the start line. But I am, go- I am going to turn again to you, Ian Trelor, and tell me what happened in the women's junior race today. Zoe Backstead, on her 18th birthday, uh, rode away at the 10-kilometer mark and then kept riding away until she finished. And then some <laughs> other people finished about three minutes after that. It was pretty dominant. Not a whole lot of uh, tactical analysis to be done around that particular race, but nonetheless, an incredible, incredible ride. And we, was it four, four, four world, world titles, titles she now holds? Yeah. Cyclocross, Madison, the time trial title from earlier this year, or earlier this year, earlier this week, and then today, right? And another one. Is there a fifth one? Did you say four? That's four. Sorry. <laughs> Can't count. And I, again, I don't think that's something we believe has ever happened before, right? Not to the best of our knowledge. Anybody out there have any idea if that's ever happened before? Does anyone have five? Any stats, folks. <laughs> but it was a, a magnificent performance. I mean, you look at uh, uh, yesterday, she was 17. Today, she's 18 years old. So <laughs> I'd say she's, mat- she's matured a lot overnight. But no, she's had, obviously, she's been, uh, what I think is really interesting is that, you know, obviously, she's, she's the uh, daughter of a, of a champion cyclist. Uh, so, and notwithstanding the, the DNA benefits of that, but just the fact that being being the uh, the, the child of, uh, of an established champion cyclist does create pressure. The fact that two, two. sorry, two, oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, two, and um, and then also with the successes she's had coming into these championships, there's the expectation. So it's, I thought one of the interesting things was despite her. The way she won was the fact that she was able to uh, handle all that ex- expectation coming into these championships and then still follow through with it and with such a strong performance. I mean, uh, that's a sign of maturity at that age. I know, we, you know, it's, it's I took, used the word remarkable before, but that's that's a, uh, an incredible performance for her old championship. See, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how she transitions out of the juniors, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, because obviously... The pressure will follow, but mm-hmm. also she'll go from being, what, 10, 15% better than the next best junior, which is what yeah. she was today, to, you know, on par with, with just some of the best women in the world. Yeah. And, and that's, that's going to be a, a pretty heavy transition. And, 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 and also the distance will be more than double yeah. for an event like today. And then so. also how she handles when others will, you know, you'd like to think will 
catch up to her or get closer to her in, in, in various levels and how she handles, I guess, what will be the chase now. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's going to be the next, next phase to see how she handles it, which will be a, a psychological thing as much as a physical thing, I think. Shall we talk about tomorrow? Let's talk about tomorrow. So, elite men's race tomorrow. Is it 268, 67K? 267 kilometers. Uh, the sort of major climbs of the day are far enough out, they're probably not going to have any dramatic impact, probably more so just kind of getting rid of the, the bottom 30% of the field or so. The city circuits will be where it is decided. What have we learned this week about the way that these, these circuits are being raced that, that can kind of inform what might happen tomorrow? I think we've discussed a couple of them already. You know, we talked about the hills, uh, the cornering, the technicality, the, the gearing. Um, one of the aspects I've found interesting just talking to people today is, you know, when you have the first road race and now you're coming tomorrow to the last road race, who learns what from the previous road race? from seeing others make mistakes or make gains. And I'd, I'd love to know what the, the, how the passage of Intel transfers from riders and, and team directors and staff and, as I said, spectators like Stuart here, <laughs> but how it gets passed on, which is going to be a lot of information that comes into uh, people's heads for tomorrow's race. There'll be a lot of information which will be potentially too much information Maybe people are going to say, I'm just going to stick to what I think and just go by it, not be make sudden last changes in gearing and or wheels or, or whatever. And that, I think that could be something that could play into tomorrow's race. People who are making last-minute changes tonight that they don't need to yep. or making changes that they need to based on that uh, intel. Based on what we know, is it going to be attritional or tactical in the final 30K? Final 50K, we'll say. I think attritional. I think that there are enough strong riders there that we're, we're likely to see a strong select group, kind of like the five that we had today, mm -hmm. before that got brought back together. But I, I imagine it's going to be the cream of the crop in that group. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an exciting race. Yeah. The, the one thing that I, I've noticed with the course, and we were speculating earlier in the week, is that the course, we, we sort of speculated that it, it suited the breakaway rider where you could disappear around mm -hmm. a corner and, and just not be seen again. But that, that one climb in the city circuit is kind of seems to be the point where they all, the accordion comes back together again. Mm -hmm. And it's because there's just visibility straight up into the sky, right? Mm -hmm. And they all slow down and you can see that gap and that gap that you have to it, make. And yeah, I you've think got something to chase. That yeah. really changes the there's, game. There's also another life. element which, which uh, Phil Anderson was talking about tonight and he did like 12 professional world titles and two amateur ones. But he's, he's saying well, the one thing about worlds when you suddenly get riders who are ch changing from, you know, everyone in the group gets aware of seeing the other riders in their trade team colours, but tomorrow is, is the day they're in national colours. Confusion. Um, and you can easily, you know, you may, we all talk about favourites, but there's still probably, he said, there's probably going to be like 100 or 150 who think, I'm still within a crack if pulling out a surprise. People don't come down here to Australia from the other side of the world for a holiday to race a bike around a course, you know, to come down to Australia for another reason. But I think um, what you may see is he says, don't underestimate the possibility of a smoky, like, uh, not saying they're going to win it, but a smoky will have, there'll be a smoky or two who have a very that? good day. Can you translate that for me? A smoky is an underestimated rider who's, for that one day of the World Championships, is wearing a coloured jersey that 
the, that his rivals um, are not used to seeing, and that underestimated Jersey, who could be someone we've nobody spoken about, but they know they know they're on form. They're world tour riders who know what form you need to be. They know what form the favourites are on, and if they feel they're on par with that form and haven't been spoken about, uh, and they're motivated to give it a crack. Um, that, I'm not saying they'll necessarily win it, but they could seriously impact who wins it, if not them, or if, even if they get a medal. So don't underestimate a smoky. We'll be talking about a smoky or two by tomorrow night, but there's no podcast, is there? We can have one anyway if we want, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good for the Vatican City, then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that could really bite you tomorrow, couldn't it? Oh, but that's right, there's no podcast. Has it? No podcast, it's fine. <laughs> I was enjoying, uh, as we were watching the race this afternoon, the huge cheers that would go up whenever any Aussie anywhere would hit the front at any point. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Aussie team for tomorrow. And I think that, frankly, there's a little bit legitimate chance of a world title tomorrow. What do you think, Group? Well, you said it. I, I, I do believe it, not just because of, uh, um, you know, uh, emotional uh, desire or, or hope or whatever. Uh, I think the interesting thing is, and we spoke about Michael Matthews, Bling Matthews, um, you know, quite regularly throughout the week. Uh, one of the interesting comments he made yesterday at the Australian team press conference was about how he's mentally prepared. Not, and, and not just off the back of his, how he won his Tour de France stage this year. He spoke about that, but that's been, uh, you know, people who watched it, people who followed Michael Matthews know that that was a, a, the way he won that stage was, you know, with a world's perspective and his future was probably more significant or as significant as the result of the stage win itself. But Michael also spoke about how he's prepared mentally um, as he did for 2010 when the Worlds were in Geelong. And he, uh, he's gone through the whole system um, because it worked then when he won the under-23 title. So it's, a, it's about processes of thought, processes of preparation. And what he's gone, he's dialed back into what worked in 2010. He's got his head around that. The simple, they're simple processes, but that's where, the simple process is what helps you as an athlete to get there to the final performance. So he's done that. He went back to Canberra for three days before he came here. Uh, it's just the day-to-day goings-on which helped him uh, handle the, uh, the mental side of preparation. He's openly admitted that, yeah, it's, it's kind of stressful with the attention of a home crowd, but he knows, he, he knew what that was going to be like. He's learnt about that. He's matured as a person. Um, and I just think also, we spoke about this with the Australian women's last night, but the, uh, the other t- members of the Australian team uh, know their roles specifically. Um, and they also know that if that doesn't work, they've got to think of other options. But um, they're certainly going to start tomorrow uh, throwing their card behind one rider, which I think, uh, look, the, the, the riders who ride tomorrow uh, sh- you know, shouldn't be uh, laboured with, with what's happened in the past. But I think Australian teams in the past have erred by having two leaders, two options. And you only got eight riders. If you split eight riders with two options, there's four riders and you've got people second-guessing who's better or not. One rider, throw your cards into that. And I think it's great that they've uh, decided on, on Michael Matthews as, as uh, their leader. I was a little worried before coming here that the course would be too hard for him. 
uh, just based off the numbers, right? You just see the, was it 3,300 meters of climbing or something like that? And that, that's a lot. Mm. <laughs> 3,900 meters of climbing, mm. thank you. Uh, I like, the, I like the, the crowd corrections corner, that's great. <laughs> uh, we, usually, we usually just let the, the, the errors go. Uh, <laughs> 3,900 meters of climbing, which is a lot, even more. Mm. Um, and that sounds like kind of too much potentially for him, but after having seen the course and we've seen the way that it's raced, and in particular seen these city circuits, I, it feels to me like it's built for him, mm. honestly. Uh, like, which maybe adds to the pressure even further is the fact that he probably knows that. Mm -hmm. uh, not that it was built specifically for him, but that he is just very well suited to this particular finale. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael can use that pressure to his to his benefit. You know, it's like uh, it's 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 the pressure is is inherently it's just the the expectation or hope. It's not a negative thing. The pressure on him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, what's hard if you go to a, like if you're a football and you're going to a uh, playing before a home crowd, that's going to lift you. You know, although if you go you, you, you play before a, a hostile crowd, that should lift you too. Because it's, it's, and it goes back to the head. How you convert that pressure um, is is that's the turning point in a performance to me. You can have all the form you've got, but if your head can't convert the pressure or expectation in the right way, that can be your downfall. So. I think Michael's dialed in completely with that. And uh, we've seen him around the hotel at uh, Sage Hotel. We saw the Australian team finish a training ride this morning. They all rode into this cafe all together. Uh, that was a united team. You know, it wasn't, I've seen past world championships where you've seen two or three Australian riders here, two or three there. And um, at the time you think nothing of it. And then perhaps even after the result, I haven't really thought much about it. But seeing that Australian team today come into their coffee at the end of their ride, you had a sense of uh, that's definitely, you know, a, a bunch of mates who are going to ride their butt off tomorrow for a result. And uh, Michael's that result. I, I think that's the result that they're banking on. Can you do it? <laughs> <laughs> of course there's other guys who are going to make a... Ah, we don't to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> no... Other picks out there? Who do you got? That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I think the AI, the AI was in, was in Wout's Corner, right? AI is in Wout's Corner. Yeah, also picked Voss for today, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep, that's wrong. Not trying to discredit. <laughs> yeah. Not saying it's not wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I got some angry tweets from somebody, hopefully not here, about how the AI is wrong and statistically it doesn't make sense. Um, which I, I'm not a mathematician <laughs> and I've no. never claimed to be. So. But let's not anger it. Uh, no, no, no. Never, never anger the AI. That, that doesn't end in a good place. But yeah, Wout, Wout is the AI's pick. <laughs> Who's second and third? Who else have they got? Oh. They, it, uh, Matthews, number two. Yeah. This is just the AI. And then Vanderpol in third. Dark Horses? I like this guy. Magnus Court is a good one. I would like to see more people on the Euro Sargon hype train. <laughs> Christoph! The Stallion. The Stavanger. Stavanger? Stavanger? Stavanger. Stavanger. Yeah. Stavanger Stallion. Yeah, I think it's a bit, a bit lumpy for him. It's but I've, I've uh, recently come back from his hometown and spent a month riding around there. And there are some climbs which are 
absolute bastards, I think they call them. <laughs> so uh, he, he might be okay. I don't know. I, I also genuinely think uh, Benoit Kosnefer is yes. in with a shot. Anybody who did anything in the Canadian races a couple weeks ago mm. is really a pretty good, pretty good bet. Because actually, those, those courses are quite similar as well. And Pog. Exactly. Who, who beat Van Aert. Yeah. Alaphilippe's a good one, although he says he's not at 100% still. Ah, That's what he wants you to he believe. Says ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the French have also had the uh, difficult run-up of business class flights. <laughs> but, but... They followed blew the by budget, staying didn't at, they? Yeah, <laughs> blew the budget on the flights and are staying at a caravan park. <laughs> True. Well, a holiday park, technically. But, but they're in, like, cabins, right? Uh, sort of... Yeah, like some Jayco kind of <laughs> numbers. <laughs> so I spent quite a lovely morning just looking through the reviews of the, the holiday park, and it, it seems fine. <laughs> are they in bunks? I hope so. <laughs> Well, it's going to be an excellent race. Uh, I feel like, I mean, we'll, we'll make a podcast on Monday, probably at the very latest, so that we will talk about it at some point. Kelly, we yeah. haven't heard your pick yet. <laughs> Just hedging your bets there, mate. I was super wrong last night. I said Mariana Voss, and she had not the legs today. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I like, I like Remco. Um, I think I put Watt Van Aert in when, when Mikey, our social media editor, asked for our official picks that he's going to put on the internet. So I, I, I probably have to stick with that. Uh, it's not a particularly bold prediction, I don't think. He's got to be the number one favorite, I would think, at this point. Uh, but how do you bet against him at this point? <laughs> at this point I, he's, he's probably a pretty good bet. I'm, I'm going to mention a name, which is more of a hopeful name, but uh, Biniam Gourmet. Yes, Binyam Gurmai. Uh, um, but having looked at the tech he's on, that might be his downfall. It's a heavy wheel set to get up that hill that he's riding. I think. I Does think, that matter? I think, well, Matthews has about a 350, 400 gram advantage in the wheel set alone. So it's enough. What are they each riding? What, what, what? So he's on a Cube, Lightning, Aero, C68. Gurmai is. With his 1T. Team spec. He's, his drivetrain is optimized, but he's on tubeless 28 mil tires. From a brand called Newman, which I've never heard well, of. Well, Newman's the wheel set. It's a German brand, but hit, they're, they're nearly 1,700 grams for those wheels. It's possible that they're not what they say on the box, that it's a team, <laughs> a team specific. Not that that ever happens. We won't tell the UCI. But uh, yeah, so it's possible that they're lighter than we think they are. But then Matthews is on um, some very fancy KDEX wheels, which would be about 1,300 grams. So uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's something to consider, but I would like to see him get up there, and I think he'd be a very good shot if it came to a sprint. It's a, it's a very good course for him. Mm. Yeah, and what a, what a story that would be. So, that, that, I mean, in terms of just narrative, that would be second only to Matthews winning. Yeah. Probably, and he might have right? the legs because he had some time off from the Giro. Like, after then, he has managed to reset his, his schedule and let things recover and get let back to I, training. I get back to that's normal. That's correct, yeah. yes. So, yeah. That incident. <laughs> yeah, a very unfortunate incident. Uh, let's wrap up, chat about tomorrow. Like I said, we're gonna, we'll, we'll have another podcast about... <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting there. Uh, we'll have another podcast about tomorrow's race. The last thing on my run sheet uh, is an Ian Trellor credential update. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
so I'm assuming everybody standing in front of us at the live show here is aware of what we're talking about, but just in case there's folks out in the internet that are not, uh, Ian didn't get a credential for this weekend because the UCI is very mean. Uh, so an update, Ian. Okay, so this morning uh, The Guardian ran a piece <laughs> and Velo News has some quotes that they've been sitting on from Lepartian since April where he has just dropped some absolute fire. Uh, he says, uh, we, we toyed with um, getting an, like a computer French accent to read it. But apparently I need to do the French accent. Please. So if we do have any French listeners, I'm sorry. This, uh, is this racism? Yeah, okay. Cultural appropriation, okay. Uh, it's bad either way. We're going to get yelled at, but do it. Okay. <laughs> there are always big stories on cycling tips, but never in favor of the UCI. True. I never read cycling tips, to be honest. I don't care about cycling tips, to be honest. It's not a serious one for me. We don't answer to cycling tips. I will never answer this guy. <laughs> he is someone you can't trust. I think he wakes up in the morning to destroy the institution. He can live his life. <laughs> But I don't care about this. <laughs> then uh, he goes on so to... So this is the UCI president, just to be very clear. Who doesn't care about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you sure he's a journalist? Are you sure he has the card of a journalist? I'm not sure if he has a press card. <laughs> it's about to get worse. It's about to turn into German. It's too, about to get... Well, the accent's <laughs> certainly getting worse. <laughs> This is in April, so I don't know how he knew. This guy is sitting in Australia. This is German. <laughs> the, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> this guy is sitting in Australia. What is that voice? This guy is sitting in Australia sipping a beer. What have they done for this? Oh. So, that story uh, is now up on our sister site, velonews.com, written by the editor-in-chief over there, Dan Benson, good friend of ours, um, and colleague. Uh, go check that out if you, if you haven't already. Uh, some excellent, excellent quotes in there. Has there been any movement in terms of actually getting you a credential for tomorrow? No, no. no. <laughs> Wouldn't have thought so, Kaylee. But, uh, yeah, no, they, they don't care about us, they don't care about this, they don't care about me, and, uh, yeah, and I'm sitting here sipping a beer in Australia. <laughs> so, yeah. joke's on them, I think. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, how has it actually, how has it impaired you being able to uh, do what you do? That is a good question. So, this morning I missed out on a press conference with Le Partien, uh, where I could have asked questions, which I was not able to. And that, that's a little bit annoying. That's probably the only material There were way. questions asked of him there were about questions this, asked. and he just sort of dodged them. Yeah, yeah, he said that there was a three journalist per publication limit. Which there isn't. False. Um, <laughs> so there, there are publications with seven. There are publications with nine. We have three. Um, so it's fun. No movement. Uh, yeah, I mean, just to be very clear with both the audience in front of us and the audience on the internet, we did try. We tried 
to be nice and we said, hey, can we move some things around and credential him under Velanews? I offered that as an option because they only have one person here. We are the same company. Uh, they, they didn't respond to any of that. So we yeah. didn't try. I'd say there were probably three emails, four emails. I, I sent know, three ten, emails, ten messages. a couple text messages off to various press people, and, and we never got any response. So at that point, we find this behavior completely unacceptable, and I think that I've been quoted saying that in a couple different places now. Uh, and we've sort of felt the need to, to get the news out there. And this. to be clear, there are bad things happening in the world, and this is not one of them. <laughs> but I, I do think that the, the reason why this has happened uh, as much as they say it isn't personal is because it is personal and the reason that they're doing this is because there are questions being asked of them and there is light being shone on things that they're doing which they probably shouldn't be doing or which they don't want the light being shone on. So I, I think as much as it is kind of silly <laughs> that it has gotten to this point, um, the reason why it is worth making a bit of a fuss about is because press freedom matters even if it's talking about bike racing, um, because it's, it's like a, a tipping point, it's a, a domino on a scale of things, and if you don't stand up for something, then eventually when something matters, then it, uh, it's a problem. Yes. But there are seagulls and there are magpies here, so I'm having a good time anyway. <laughs> Perfect, it'll give me somewhere to sit. Amazing. I think yeah, I've got, I've yeah, got myself sorted for all of the world. Do we have anyone yeah. from Rwanda? All right, well, yes, we did want to address that. Uh, clear up anything and, and just bring you all up to date on, on our struggle against the UCI. That's really, it's really over, overblowing it. Um, the whole thing is absurd. Uh, we find it exceptionally petty and disappointing and we would like them to not do this in the future because it is, it does prevent Ian from doing some of the work that he was sent here to do that we're paying for him to do here uh, is being prevented by this very sort of silly and, like I said, petty decision. So with that, we're going to leave it here. This is the end of our live shows from the World Championships. And with that, just the applause of some people that have been released. <laughs> Uh, big thank you to everybody who showed up tonight and last night and to Quare for hosting us. Thank you very much. Uh, we will be back. We'll be back. Monday? I don't know. We'll be back with, it, with it, some sort of episode after the world's wrap up so we can talk about tomorrow's racing. Until then, thanks everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.